0: Hi everyone, I'm Josh,
1: and I'm Jim, and this is the Dapper Meeple.
0: This show is about our love of gaming, the games we play, and the gaming community around this passion.
1: So pull up a chair, put on your Dapper Meeple hat, and join us at the table. Hey kids, remember, this is an adult podcast and may contain adult language.
0: Also, Dapper Meeple hat, not required.
1: On today's episode of The Dapper Meekle, we have us. Just us.
0: That's right. And we're going to catch up on all the things that we've missed.
1: We're going to talk about new games coming out, older games that you can get your hands on, and how to become a spaceship captain.
0: We'll also mention what Wizards of the Coast has been brewing, all of that and more on this episode of The Dapper Meekle.
1: All right, so welcome to a non-special edition of the Dapper Meeple, since our last three have been uh, really all about guests.
0: Yeah, and as much as we love having multiple people on the show, uh, it's nice just to get back to uh, just us again.
1: Right? Back to the uh, kind of like quaint little recording studio we have here in the house. Um, I'm not backed
0: up into a tiny little corner next to a fridge. You know, plenty, plenty of space to spread out where you can, you know, just really relax and uh, get into it.
1: And this lets us kind of go back to our original format, too, because there's been a lot going on in the last, geez, month and a half yep. that we just kind of haven't addressed because we've had other things more important coming on. Like I said, uh, we had Preston on from Games Workshop, which was fantastic. We had the guys from BA Games, BA yep. Games came on, um, did some great stuff with us. And then Viva Valentina was our last guest. Who is? uh, She was heading off to uh, PAX East and now getting ready for our Tidewater Comic-Con here in the Virginia Beach area.
0: And if you are listening to this and have anything to do with the gaming industry and want to come talk to us, we are definitely not opposed uh, to interviewing people. Whether you can make it here to Virginia Beach or we need to do it over Skype, uh, we are now set up and able to do it.
1: So let's talk about what's been going on. So one of the big ones that I wanted to talk about um, was the announcement from Pops and Beju Games, which they are the company that made uh, Cultivate. Right, It's a game that we did a review on. I love the game. I love playing it with new people. It's kind of really easy to teach, kind of hard to master kind of thing. Um, basically, you try to build your own cult compound. Um, it really, uh, really, a lot of replayability. You can play a different cult leaders. Uh, things like that, uh, they were sold out, and they have gone ahead and opened up uh, the orders again for Cultivate. They said they're not entirely sure where they're going to fill them, but they feel confident enough to go ahead and open up uh, so they can get at least get the orders in.
0: Right. Doing a, a whole new pre-order stretch of it, uh, which is really great. I'm glad to see this was their first game uh, right. as a as a publishing uh, development company. So it's really good to see the success that they're having as well as wanting to continue that. Um, we talked about it, uh, actually did a review a couple episodes ago. Um, I mean, who doesn't want to be their own cult leader? Uh, I do, one of the things I liked about it were the, the kind of differences in the leader, depending on right. what you chose, uh, because each of the little uh, pieces represented a certain type of person you were trying to um, bring into the cult. Uh, and depending on which leader you were, you would go for a very specific kind. Uh, i thought all that was really well designed and really well done Um, another announcement that they came out with was their next game that's going to be coming to kickstarter pretty soon
1: right they calling it they're calling it channel one w-o-n and it seems like the theme behind it is going to be your reporters working for a news station and they basically it sounds like they make like one day like the battle to the death like all right who's gonna get the best story and send you out to the field um the tagline on it is resort to anything to report everything. So <laughs> I'm looking forward to this. It's going to be on Kickstarter. They don't have uh, a date set yet that I can see, but there is a Kickstarter pre-launch page that you can go to and mark, and it'll, let you, uh, it'll send you a notification when they're on.
0: Right. Uh, definitely awesome to support a, a smaller company like this. So really excited to see what their next game comes out with um, and just what they're doing with it. Uh, the other big news that we have is stuff from Wizards of the Coast,
1: right? They are um, this summer. It feels like it feels like to me they've kind of been holding back on this one. Um,
0: yeah, one hundred percent. This has been a long requested and very long awaited um, setting that fans have been hoping would come back and make a resurgence in Five E. Uh, that it seemed like every time they said there's going to be a big announcement, people were asking, "Is it Spelljammer?"
1: Right. That is that is the go to, and they're like, "Hey." There's a new play. There's a new book coming out. And everybody's always like, Spelljammer? Yeah. Spelljammer? Spelljammer?
0: Well, no. Ravnica. <laughs> yeah. 100%. There was always at least, you know, 15, 20 comments every time there was a new announcement. Is it Spelljammer? Well, everybody, it's Spelljammer.
1: Now it's Spelljammer. This <laughs> yeah. time it's Spelljammer. Um, for anybody that doesn't know, uh, Spelljammer was originally a setting that came from uh, Advanced D&D, so second edition. And. They basically what you were doing was it was the way to travel between uh, different planes of existence. Like if you wanted to go from, uh, say, Dragonlance to the Forgotten Realms, you would have to travel across the Astral Sea, which is where Spelljammer came in. Right. And like a lot of people have compared it to Treasure Planet. And like I say, it's that's pretty close. But with Treasure Planet, they were like, we invented these ships and they fly in space and they have their own atmosphere and blah, blah, blah. Spelljammer is just magic. It just yeah. happens because magic, which should be the answer to 90% of your d questions.
0: Anyway. Yeah, let's be honest. As If you have ever been a DM, sometimes you just want to go, well, that happened because magic. Right. And then just stare at your player because what are they going to do? Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> do I understand the magic? No, you don't. Keep moving. <laughs> uh, but Spelljammer, they were ships and they could look like pirate ships, like your typical like mast and sail. They could look like fish. Uh, The dwarves of Spelljammer basically flew around in giant mountains with faces carved on them, the citadels, like two, three hundred dwarves just chucking around in the astral sea in this thing. Right. Um, Yeah. So everybody's really excited to get this back.
0: This is not a setting that I have a whole lot of experience with, uh, but it does seem very exciting. Yeah. Uh, we kind of touched on multiverse travel in the one campaign that I ran, uh, but it was more based on um, like Magic the Gathering. So it was more Planeswalker type based. Uh, but to actually have these adventures of like traveling between the planes, I think is, is awesome.
1: We're getting ready to run a uh, game here at the house, which is a learn to play game for people that have never played 5th edition before or have very little experience. And no matter how it ends, I'm going to put them on a ship, heading in a spell jammer ship. That's my plan. Like, we're going to end with everybody on a spell jammer ship, and then we'll go from there.
0: Right. So the announcement, obviously, uh, that the setting was coming back, uh, it looks like it's going to be kind of a three book set, similar to how the uh, initial three books, the player's handbook, the DM's guide, and the monster manual um, were kind of put together and produced uh so i'm excited to see the only art that i've seen so far has just been the standard editions i'm wondering if they're going to do alternate art covers like they have for almost all of the books they've come out with in fifth edition right. uh which I, i've been a fan of almost 90 yeah. percent of them right I, a lot of them have been really really good um but it's it's got a lot of variation in the three books um so they are the first one is your like your standard introduction to the setting.
1: Okay, so that's the Astral Adventurer's Guide then.
0: Right. Um, and then my personal favorite, which is Boo's Monster.
1: Boo's Astral Menagerie. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Boo from the Minsk and Boo team is going to be headlining uh, the kind of monster manual for the Astral Plane.
0: And then uh, the last book is actually going to be um, an a campaign adventure right. uh, set in the Spelljammer setting.
1: Right. For characters five to eight. It's the light of uh, Xeraxis, that's what it looks like. So, And then with that too, you get a poster uh, with some like asteroid cities and things like that and a DM screen for it.
0: Right. So all in all, uh, it sounds like a pretty fun set. I'm still interested to see what the art kind of looks like if they do alternate arts and things like that. Uh, I'm definitely excited to see the return of the miniature giant space hamster. Right. Uh, so I really hope to see, <laughs> see some lore and things like that included in there. Uh, one of my favorite duos, if you guys don't know about Man's Boo, you should definitely go and read up on them. Um, uh, but yeah, so that was the kind of introduction news uh, from them. Uh, we also have, uh, Wizards of the Coast actually acquired D&D Beyond.
1: Right. Which is something a lot of people didn't know that D&D Beyond, which is incredibly popular, especially with the Critical Role crowd. They yep. do their, they did their own animated commercial on it and stuff like that. Um, D&D Beyond is a way to build characters, keep track of them, you know, play. You're basically playing D&D with a tablet or a smartphone or something like yep. that. you have got your character sheet and all your information right there um, was not owned by Wizards of the Coast.
0: Yeah. Which I, at first I was surprised. I, I found this out a, a while back before they announced the acquisitions of them. But um, I, I was surprised that that was not something that happened earlier. Uh, especially with the way that they kind of married into it with all the content, how you could buy all the books and stuff on there, right? all of that sort of stuff. But uh, some people were questioning kind of the direction that D&D Beyond will go now, but honestly, with as much as they were already doing for the hobby and for Wizards, I, I feel like this was inevitable.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I kind of feel like it may have been that Wizards wanted it because they were licensing all of their stuff to that company. Right. If Wizards wanted it, like it may just have been a matter of they hadn't made the right deal yet to take it.
0: Yeah, uh, that's what I picture probably being the case. Um, Either way, I I feel like that at this point it's going to be now that Wizards has a direct hand in it. Um, I think it's gonna I just be better right. Uh, there are a lot of people now, um, especially with the pandemic, there are a lot of people who are playing online solely right. Um, this gives them a great place to keep characters and information uh, as well as books and things like that. Now, we've talked personally, we enjoy the the tactile feeling of actually having the oh, books. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, it's a preference thing. Uh, But other than that, uh, there are people who that's perfectly fine for them to have all their books on their tablet or on their phone or wherever. So either way, I think this is a great acquisition for Wizards. I think I'm excited to see what they're doing with the platform, what they're going to continue to do with the platform um, and just kind of go from there.
1: I would like to see them do something. The big thing that I had, the problem that I had is I buy the books because I usually get the special covers. Um, I like the way they look in my library. I like using them that way having to go and get them on D and D beyond was having to spend money again. Just like with roll 20, it, you know, it's usually not as much as what a hardcover book is, but you're still right. talking anywhere from 20 to 40 bucks, depending on what yeah. the book is.
0: It, it just, it hurts. Yeah, yeah exactly. And I'm yeah. just kind of like, ugh. yeah, but, I mean, there were, so I've heard, or I've seen people suggest different things they could do, whether it be like a coupon that is printed into, excuse me, into the actual books. Right. Um, that would be, that would be pretty cool. Uh, where you know if you buy the physical copy of the book, you get the um, digital copy for like a fraction of the price. Sure,
1: yeah, 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 you know
0: something along those lines. I mean, free would be great, but <laughs> you know. <laughs> and I, then we come
1: back to this fantasy world we like to call reality. Yeah, yeah.
0: So, uh, but still, uh, I think something like that would be really cool, uh, especially for people like us who do enjoy the books. Um, it does make running both kinds of games easier
1: so do you think they're going to take D beyond and make like a roll 20 type website with it where you can play like all D D all the time
0: i don't know because there are so many of those out there right now like i feel like that space is really filled yeah i mean because you you've got roll 20 you've got fantasy grounds um you got even got like tabletop simulator technically has their hat in the ring, although that's more all fan made content. Sure,
1: yeah. Um, so they would have to do something pretty impressive
0: to make it worthwhile. Yeah, for them. there would have to be some sort of really good integration mm-hmm. um, that makes their platform just that much easier to use than, say, Roll Twenty or Fantasy Grounds. So that's that's the only thing that I could see them. I mean. It's wizards, so you know they have money coming out of everywhere currently. Right. So who knows what they might try? But <laughs>
1: who knows do? they come up with? Yeah. Uh, speaking of, they're also rebooting Dragonlance, as I know that was that was kind of the original. Greyhawk was kind of the original campaign, and then right. Dragonlance um, was another one that was really popular before the Forgotten Realms uh, yeah. came in and became like the standard for fifth edition. So yeah, so Dragonlance is coming back. Um, there's going to be some changes in like character development and character building and stuff like that. Jeremy Crawford was uh, on they had him on YouTube where he was talking about it. I think he was on the actual D&D podcast where he talked about, you know, hey, if you are in Dragonlance, even if you're a level one character, you just came out of like a global war. You've seen some shit. So you get some free proficiencies or free feats or something like that. So um, it should be interesting to see how they spin that. Um, And then what's the board game?
0: So that was one of the things that I thought was really interesting with the way they are marrying these two together. Uh, So there is going to be a board game that comes out the same time as the new Dragonlance books uh, that is going to be able to be integrated into the campaign. Um, So in the campaign story that they're going to come out with, there will be instances where the players will be in some sort of battle. Uh, Normally um, in the book, there will be ways to... um, basically use dice rolls and other abilities to figure out the outcome of the battle just solely in the role-playing game sure um but they are introducing this new board game as a way to basically play the game outside the game uh so this board game is going to be um a sort of wargaming, area control type game is what i i kind of picture right where you can fight out these battles that are happening in your role-playing game you can fight them out in this board game and then resolve whatever the the finishing is of them yeah 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 so i thought that was really cool the way they are marrying the two yeah because a lot of times in our hobby you have the role players are over here and the board gamers are on the other side of the room right right and you know those two shall never meet uh but i i think that Games have kind of come a long way and that there are a lot of board games with role-playing elements in them now. Yep. Um, so I think this is a great way to kind of flip the script where you start with the role-playing part and then add the board game on top of it.
1: Right, yeah. See, that's really interesting. I know that they did one the other way, um, The uh, was The Adventure Begins, where it is a board game, but it has a lot of role-playing aspects to it. Like, your challenges may not always be defeating the monster. Some of the challenges are, uh, like, you know, one of your people fell in the water. Try to help them out or something like that. And you've got to kind of roll for it. Yeah. Um, a, a very different system from D&D, but it is from Wizards of the Coast. Uh, but it is great for an introduction, for a book going board game. To TTRPG, where this is kind of re- reversing that, and you've got the TTRPG that you can work the board game into. So, yeah, um, I, I that'll think be that part's
0: that part's really really cool. Uh, I'm really excited to see when they put out more information on it uh, to kind of see what both of them look like. I am a fan of the Dragon light setting. I have read the books multiple times, like the main series, uh, you know, Dragons of Autumn Twilight and the whole Nine Yards. Uh, so. I'm really excited to see the setting and where they go with it. um, And just kind of all that stuff that happens there.
1: And so the last, I guess, big thing coming out of wizards is the movie. Yeah. So we're going to try this again. (laughs) We, uh, let's be honest. The first two shots at it, we were, I think we were working our way out of a deficit when those two movies came out. Fantasy, the fantasy genre in movies and television was not great at that point. Yeah. Right. Um, since then we've had, you know, we've had Tolkien, we've had the Lord of the Rings, we've had the Hobbit series, we've had Game of Thrones, we've had Shadow and Bone on TV. We've had, you know, there are so many great fantasy, you know, uh, the Wheel of Time has, you know, did their first season. So they're able to make a good fantasy film.
0: Yeah. And I think you look at just nerd culture in general. Right. I mean, look at where Marvel is at, at this point, like the, who would have ever suspected that these comic book characters would be household names at this point. Right. Uh, I mean, that's really what, what it has, it has come to. Um, And sure, you could argue, well, they were all pretty popular characters before. Not on this level. This is
1: a whole, like people that have never picked up a comic book or showed any interest at all know who tony stark is
0: yeah 100 percent. so i feel like that i agree that i think we are in a great place for a resurgence that does something good i mean shoot we have a series on a video game right now halo right like uh, being shown on paramount paramount plus that who would have ever i mean i remember there was actually it was God, years and years ago somebody made like a fan made live action halo short
1: yes yeah. um
0: i don't remember what it was called or uh, i'm sure you can find it on youtube at some point but like it was really cool and everyone's like oh this would make a great show of course nobody at that time would have thought to throw money at something like that
1: that's right um, yeah
0: but i mean if you look at where we're at right now i mean we have look at critical roles web series uh, I mean, where they were able to turn their D and D game into an actual animated like series, uh, now Amazon has picked them up for a second and third season. I was
1: gonna say, yeah, they're already uh, they've got two more seasons guaranteed. Yeah,
0: yeah, one hundred percent. Um, I think we're in a place where people are going to be receptive to something like this, which usually means that there's more money that can be thrown at it
1: right right yeah that's when none of this stuff gets made unless somebody somewhere thinks they're gonna make money off of it yeah 100 percent. so the cast for the movie we're talking um let's see first off chris pine um is going to be the star uh michelle rodriguez renee jean page from bridgerton yep we talked about justice smith uh hugh grant and sophia lillis have joined with hugh grant i guess cast as the antagonist so i don't know about that but all right cool well i'll let We'll see if he can do it. I don't know. If, I Has Hugh Grant ever played a bad guy? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> see,
0: it, it makes me want to find out now, but... <laughs> right now,
1: now, I'm Googling. Uh, Jason Wong and Daisy Head also joined the cast. I mean, the cast looks good, which we talked about last time. That Yeah, I mean, they had Jeremy Irons in the, that first one. So... Um, <laughs> it's,
0: not, it's not always about the cast, but... Again, I mean, look how far, just I mean, just in general, how movies and TV have come from that point. Yeah. I mean, now we can have dragons that actually look like dragons. Sure, sure. Right? Uh, I mean, there's just a lot of...
1: I have no trouble believing that any monster that you can pull out of the Monster Manual, they'd be able to put on screen and make it look believable and real, you know, and not look goofy. I think oh, they yeah. can do it. So yeah,
0: yeah, one 100%. I, I have no doubt about that at this point.
1: The official title is Honor Among Thieves.
0: So we will see. Uh, obviously, there's going to be more information announced. Um, and that is coming out March of next year. Correct, March
1: 23, that's what yeah. they said. So another year to wait. I know they've already wrapped... They, supposedly, they've already wrapped filming. So this is all post-production.
0: Yeah, if I can imagine. I mean, just... With the fantasy genre, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of CGI elements. Sure, sure.
1: I'll take it. I'll take it. You guys can do this, yeah. right? Like Jurassic Park made it possible. You guys can oh, do yeah.
0: this. I mean, look at how many Jurassic worlds we've had now at this point. And right? I think there's another one coming out. Yeah, there is. Yeah, yeah If, you, there if is. you could do dinosaurs, you could do dragons. Yeah, yeah, same thing. <laughs> I'm convinced. One just has wings. <laughs>
1: right? What is it? you want hamburgers or meatballs? Same thing, different shape. <laughs> so... All right, so that's kind of a quick catch up on what's on our radar. Um, We'll talk some Kickstarter here in a little bit. And the big thing for today is we're going to talk Moonrakers in games we play. Moonrakers, designed by Austin Harrison, Max Anderson, and Zach Dixon, with art from Lunar Saloon, published by IV Games. Have you ever dreamt of being a dashing captain of your own spaceship? Or the wily rogue just trying to keep their ship flying? Well, with Moonrakers, here's your chance. Moonrakers is a deck-building game with elements of engine building, dice rolling, and player negotiation. Players form a loose band of mercenaries who work to gain prestige and become the new leader of the Moonrakers. Each player starts the game with a deck of cards that represents actions that they could take in their ship, a board which shows parts of the ship that can be upgraded, and a little bit of coin, you know, to get you started. Each player takes turns choosing a contract and deciding if they want to attempt it alone or get some help from their friends. Each mission comes with its own set of hazards, represented by rolling the hazard dice, and rewards in the form of coin, prestige points, crew cards, and ship parts all of which can be negotiated prior to the start of the contract. Once the details are finalized, each player involved begins to play cards from their hand. Some cards will give you more turns, some let you draw more cards, and some, like crew cards, can give you access to special abilities. When all the players involved have played their turns, the mission leader checks to see if the mission requirements have been met, and if so, collect and divide up the spoils. Along the way, you get the chance to collect and complete separate objectives for prestige, upgrade your ship, and enlist new crew members. The first captain to reach level 10 prestige on the tracker is the new leader of the Moonwreckers and the winner of the game. So we found this game like the last day we were up at PAX and found their booth. And it looked really good. And there was a lot of hype around the game anyway. We just when we get to cons, we're just not good at keeping things straight. Um, So we did finally get around to them and get to talk to them. At that time, they were all sold out at PAX.
0: Yeah, they had already gone through everything that they had. In fact, they had even the guy said they had brought more copies down from New York in the middle of like Friday night, uh, just to try and get some more stuff sold. And they still had everything sold out. This was this was pretty early on Sunday too. So we were interested. We looked up some stuff because uh, we are not. I mean, just you know, for clarity's sake, we are not great about following hype on things. No, we're just, no. We're just not. We usually come late to the party, but hey, once we're here, baby. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> now the party can start. All right. <laughs> but no, we we uh, talked with uh, the guy who was there running the booth for a little while. He kind of showed us on the demo copy that they had there. Uh, immediately, it was something that I love the look of. Yes. Um, just the art style and everything, 100%. I was like, this game, like it looks great. Didn't really know a lot about it, but don't know how to play it. But it looks really good, right? Yeah.
1: Um, and since you know we got back home, uh, got back into doing life, and forgot about it for a little while. I think you were playing it on some. Ta- what are you doing on tabletop?
0: Yeah, I had uh, got the mod on Tabletop Simulator. I was messing around uh, with the solo mode on it, which I think is is really well done. Um, and we finally picked up a copy of it. Yes. Um, and it got here, and. First thing, there's a giant like hole in the front of the box. Right.
1: <laughs> now, not the fault of the company. They had packaged it and sent it, but it looked like something had pierced the outer box, the shipping box, and put a hole through the front of the actual box itself. So, and just a kind of a testament to the company, I wrote them and I was like, Hey, I know this is not a big thing, but would it be possible for me just to get another box? And I told them what happened. Um, and they responded back to me they were like, hey. Open it up, make sure everything else is good inside of it, because if we need to, we would rather just send you a whole new game, you know, if there are components that are damaged. And I did. I opened it up and inside was pristine. It was good. It would just punch that hole in the top of the box. Really cool. These guys got together and they sent us uh, just a new box, just a straight new box. You can lift the insert out and put it right in there, which we did. And on top of that, they also sent us the um,
0: mini expansion. Yeah, the,
1: like the micro expansion that they have out, which is uh, I think it's like a dozen or so more cards mm-hmm. to upgrade different ship parts and different um, crew, members, crew members and stuff.
0: And a couple contracts.
1: So cool. And it was not what we were asking for. Like we, were, you know, obviously we're not we're not popular enough as a podcast for them to be like, Oh, we really want to make these guys happy. Like yeah. for, uh, for them, they were just dealing with somebody, you know, that had bought their game and it was so cool that they took the time and they put that little bit of extra in there and sent it to us. So they sent us the micro expansion and they sent us the, the card sleeves for the micro expansion. Right. All right. So I just want to throw that out there that these guys are running a good company and they're, they are backing their product.
0: Yeah. 100%. Um, that right there goes a long way. I mean, for a company. Yeah. So, uh, Then we actually got the game to the table. Um, We've played a few rounds of it in person. It's an excellent game. Yes. Um, One thing that it does that I feel like is kind of unique to it, it has this uh, cooperative element in the deck building uh, when you are choosing contracts and trying to fulfill contracts that I think is kind um, kind of unique to it. Um, One of the problems that I've had with deck builders in the past is that many times it feels like you are playing the same game as the person next to you, but it doesn't matter what they do because you're just playing. It's like a solo game that you're sitting around people playing the same solo game.
1: Right. You're just trying to get to the finish line first, but you don't really affect each other.
0: Yeah. Sometimes deck builders can feel that way. Um, And I feel like this does a very good... Job of keeping the table involved. Right. Um, Because a lot of times, again, with deck builders, it's like, all right, that person is taking their turn. They're doing their things. All right, they're done with their turn. Next person, you know, that sort of thing. Whereas this one, there is constant communication across the table as well as opportunities for um, other players to get involved, even if it's not their turn directly.
1: Right. And I really, that was one of the aspects I wasn't really sure that I was going to enjoy. But I think it really brings a whole nother dimension into this game, especially when you're sitting around a table with people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, you're actually, you have to interact. You have to use people to win this game. And you have to work together in that kind of semi cooperative type mode.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I think you really do have to work with other people because there are contracts in here that. Are basically impossible to fulfill with even if you had access to every card that was in your deck. Sure, which yep, is yep. possible to get through if you get the right combination, but even then, it, it's impossible to fulfill those contracts. Yeah, um, and one thing I love is as a player, when it's not your turn, if you have a garbage hand. You can be like, hey, I will help you on this contract. Now, you can't obviously tell them I got, you know, three thrusters and, you know, whatever in my hand to help you. Uh, but you can be like, hey, I have some of the some of the things on here. I, I can help you out. Um, for me, it was like, man, this hand is straight garbage. I was like, I can't do much. I was like, I will help you. I'm not going to be much help. But I also really only want like one coin.
1: Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, so yeah, you will work cheap.
0: Yeah uh because the main purpose was to get rid of the garbage that i had in my hand and redraw. Um so uh, elements like that i i feel like the the gameplay is really fun. Yep. Um it, it it does more than just um have a regular regular type deck building experience. You really get to include everyone at the table. And like one of the things we noticed when we were playing um actually playing with my wife um she she doesn't really play a ton of board games um and this was the first deck builder she'd ever played um and there are many times where she would see the contracts see that she couldn't really fulfill them and then want to just stay at base right and what ended up happening after the game we were talking about it and she said you know i realized that I, I needed to be more interactive to, to win. Yeah, And I think that's what this game really does. Yeah. Um, it forces you to, to take those risks um, and bring other people with you on those <laughs> risks um, to really make make the contracts work.
1: So let's talk a little bit of gameplay. So the point of this, uh, kind of like the theme behind it, is that you are a loose kind of group of uh, spaceship captains, right? And your goal is to gain prestige points. And there's a tracker on the board where you have your little ships uh, that you keep track of your prestige and it goes from zero to 10. First one to 10 wins, right? So pretty simple concept. Getting there is a little bit more complicated there are um opportunities so there are we, like we've been talking about contracts which are the cards that you lay out and they basically say hey here is what you would need to do to fulfill this contract right <clears throat> and it could be a certain combination of cards that needs to be played yep and you can look at them and they offer different rewards so obviously um contracts that have more hazards which are represented by dice that you roll to see how many uh hazard you actually take um they would be worth more than some of the safer cards, right? And that's yep. where the using somebody else comes into it because as you pick a contract, you get an opportunity to negotiate. And you can bring two even, you know, two or three people onto a contract right and be like, "Hey, the reward is two prestige, three coins, and you can draw a card." So, if somebody will do this for the card and you take two hazards off of it, you know, so it's kind of a, you know, a back and forth to figure out who's going to take the risk and what the reward's going to be for it. Um, and then you kind of finalize everything and like, all right, we're going to try to attempt this contract.
0: Right. Um, so then once, once the negotiation portion is done, the hazard dice get rolled by whoever take, is taking the hazards. And then that'll tell you how many actual hazards you are at risk of. Sure. Um, there are the different kinds of cards that are available. Uh, there are reactors, which give you actions to play cards. There are thrusters which allow you to draw two cards out of your deck. Uh, there are shields which everyone negates one hazard. Uh, there are damage cards which allow you to deal damage um, onto the contract, not to other players. Right, right. Um, and then
1: there's the miss cards, which are just right. kind of a. There's jump always card. one
0: in every deck, right, right? In in your starting deck, and sometimes you'll add more. Um, But after those are what the requirements are on the cards. So as you're playing these out of your hand and from your deck, that's what you're trying to fulfill. Now, there are crew cards that you can buy Mm -hmm. um, as well, and each crew member has a specific ability that allows you to do something. Sometimes they will count as one of the other cards. Uh, Sometimes they will do things like, pull a card from your discard pile and you can play it some of them will reduce the cost of a contract uh, of one of the elements on a contract Um, but they also count as what a crew resource so some of the contracts will say you have to play you know two or three crew members in order to fulfill the contract right Um, the other upgrade is ship upgrades sure
1: yep you can you have a board sitting in front of you um, which has four places for you to place Ship upgrades, and they can be. I mean, there's all kinds of craziness in there, right? Like it's a sci-fi kind of genre. So there's like a cloaking device that helps reduce hazards. There are certain cannons you can put on that'll do more damage. There's you know drive upgrades that boost your you know what your thrusters are worth and things like that. So just kind of improving your ship.
0: Yep, and each one that you take of those that you purchase also gives you more cards to add into Mm -hmm. your deck of a certain kind, depending on what kind of um, attachment it is. Right. Um, So. that is where the kind of the deck building portion comes in. There's not as much there's not as much deck building in this game as like some of the traditional ones. Say um like Marvel Legendary and Dominion, where those are like true true blue deck builders where you are constantly every turn adding new cars to your deck. This one you have a pretty set deck. At most, you're probably gonna add five to maybe eight cards to your deck over the course of the game. Sure. Um so it's pretty like pretty standard in those regards which does make it easier to i guess kind of play the odds like and kind of re- work and remember what you have in the deck versus right. what you need that kind of thing um so uh, that's another thing i like about it you don't end up with a deck of like 50 cards that you're trying to hope to pull like that one right. card out of there to make the contract work
1: it's very important in this game too when you get going. Like you said, it's not a, like the deck isn't really heavy, but I think deck management in this game is really big because you can yeah. only have a hand of five, sometimes six cards if you get the right upgrades. Right. And as you play those cards, if you run out of cards while you're on a contract, unless you have a card that allows you to draw more cards, that's yeah. what you've
0: got. Yeah.
1: Um, so understanding that aspect of the game. And like you said, I, I know that there are times where I've taken a contract while we've been playing or been assisting on a contract and are totally drawing for it. Right. <laughs> like, I don't have it in my hand at all. Yeah. yeah. But I'm hoping that like, OK, but I've got this card and this will let me pull two or this will let me pull four. So I've got some options. Um, and that part of it, I really liked. That kind of even when you're working with somebody else because you both play your hands at the same time, right? Right, that sort of deck management where you're looking at, I know what I have in my deck, yeah, because it's not so much that you can't remember it, yeah. so it's just like, am I is it shuffled where I'm going to pull the card that I need,
0: right? Um, and then carrying it over to the solo gaming side of it, which solo and two player play the same, actually, um, or for the most part. You have what is called a mercenary row. Uh, so you shuffle up the this deck, the mercenary deck, which is filled with uh, various um, of the different types of cards, as well as a few crew members thrown in there. Uh, you shuffle it up and you lay five of them out. I believe it's five, might be six. Um, as you're. As you're looking at those, you can start a contract and then you could use cards from the mercenary row to help pay for the contracts. And the way it works, every time you use one of the normal card, the non-crew cards, it it costs one of the coins that the contract would pay. And then if you use a second one, it costs one coin plus however many coins you paid before. So the second one will be two and the next one will be three like that. Got it. Um, and then the crew members, if you want to use a crew member in Mercenary Row, it costs one of the prestige points of the contract. Got it. So it kind of has that similar negotiating element to it where you're spending uh, resources that you're going to be gaining from the contract to help you actually complete the contracts. Got it. Um, so that part of it is it, it plays really smooth. Um, it's it's really nice just to be able to um, have a game that is both fun at multiple player counts um, as well as solo. Now I will say the cooperative element at higher player counts really kind of sets this game apart for me as a deck builder. Yeah. So this, this is by no means one of my favorite solo games, but it is, I would definitely say it is playable and a fun experience. Sure. I get that. So, um, I guess let's get down to the rating. Okay. Um, so first off uh, before we really get into that we're talking value first so the price point of this game uh, 60 bucks mm-hmm. is the MSRP on it um, and that includes um, basic everything that you need in the game as well as the plastic miniature ships now we went and splurged for the upgraded metal ones oh
1: if you've got an extra 30 bucks that you're gonna throw at this game go ahead and do it
0: yeah they're <laughs> I mean they're gorgeous they're awesome they feel heavy in your hand. All around, excellent. Um, I will say, um, we'll get more into it with components, but just everything about this game feels like smooth and just nice. Um, at at sixty bucks, uh, like one hundred percent, I think this game is well worth it.
1: Also, free shipping on orders over a hundred dollars, which with all the add-ons that they have, you can hit that pretty easy. And from everything that I've seen, um, I would say it's worth it. Um, since we're talking value, uh, like Josh said like everything is really well done. The boards um, are well done and sealed and they look nice. And you've got a lot of boards because you have your, you have the two boards that you play off of in the center of the table. Right. And then everybody has their individual board for their right. ship. Um, really well done. You, they're printed. The, the print looks clean on them. Um, they definitely, like I said, have a very kind of sci-fi type feel. Um, those are great. All the card stock is really good. Um, it's just, it's well done um, for yep. the value of this game. Um, I, I think 65 is like, it's good. We've talked about that. You can find a lot of game. You can get your hands on a lot of good games for, you know, the 30, $40 mark. Um, I feel like this one's worth what they're asking.
0: I feel like there are, and again, we'll get, we'll dig deeper into this in components, but I feel like there are some things that they did, some design choices and kind of component choices yep. that I think make this game worth that $65 price point. So let's talk about components then. We're right there. Um, so, with the components, the one thing I like is, I mean, from the minute you put your hands on the box, right, the way that it's been printed and designed is just nice and smooth. It has a very, uh, I I don't really want to say expensive feel to it, but I mean... <laughs> but it's an expensive feel. Yeah, yeah, that, that's really what it feels like. Everything is nice and clean. Uh, it's almost uh, like a matte finish on the box, so it... Again, it's just, it's like silky smooth. Right. Um, But you open it up and I mean, immediately you have that same color design um, is reflected in all the components. That's kind of like dark background and then almost these, almost neon type colors for the different ships and things like that. Um, uh, The card stock on them is just excellent. I mean, everything about this game, it feels like they could have made this game cheaper if they went cheaper on the components.
1: Yeah definitely
0: like that that is where the money was spent and you can you can tell
1: yeah you can feel it
0: um it's uh, aside from i mean just the the general things that we're looking for in the age of games we live in uh, as far as component quality i mean it's tough to get a game by now that doesn't have good cards that doesn't have good cardboard in it really um and i think this game takes that and then just you know goes goes a little bit beyond that
1: sure and then the when you, the base box that you get is 65. Okay. I'm looking at the site right now. Uh, so we talked about the cards, and the cards are all really um, well-labeled. There's a, two different size cards uh, that you get, you know, your contracts, your crew cards. Uh, those are all one side. Your deck that you have, those are all one size card. And then Ship there's parts. the smaller, right, the smaller square cards that you have for the ships and then the objectives, which we didn't really talk about. But it's another way to earn prestige. You basically hold an objective, in your hand, and it could be something like complete a certain type of contract by yourself, but there's also cards in there. Like as an ally, you fail a contract. So, you know, always be careful who you're dealing with. That's all we're saying. (laughs) Um, On top of that though, they also have the coins. There's coinage in this game too, that you use Mm -hmm. to spend to buy ship upgrades and crew upgrades. Um, and it's two types of coins, and the base box comes with the metal coins.
0: Yeah, which I thought was an excellent inclusion to the base box, right? because um, I don't know, I, I don't know how many of you have ever played games with um the cardboard coins. Uh, it's just a different feel when it's a metal coin. Uh, just the weight of them, the whole the way they clink when you drop them on your board, yeah, right. you know it's it's just a wonderful experience. It's a reason people buy metal dice. Let's be honest.
1: Right, right, exactly. <laughs> um, the dice in this, the, the hazard dice, you get uh, what three of them, four, and four of them. Uh, yeah, here we go. You get four of them, uh, and they're really good too. I mean, they're dice. They're basically six sided dice, though they're they're labeled with either zero hazard, one hazard, or two hazard on them. Um, but still, they just solid. All right. And then, let me talk about the box, because that was, when I opened this up and began, you know, unboxing this thing, the box itself is designed so well. This may be, if not the best, it's definitely top three boxes that I've seen. Because once you take everything out and you play the game, when you go to put it back in, there's a section for everything. There's a cutout in the box for everything. All your crew cards go here. All of your... You know, your damage cards go here. Your thruster cards go here. Like, they're all labeled with their symbols. Uh, the dice fit perfectly in this little cutout. The coins fit perfectly in a cutout for the three, you know, the single coins or the the three-point coins. Um, just everything in this box is designed to go back together neatly. Um, and it looks like it's got enough room to sleeve it too, and still be able to put everything back where it goes.
0: It reminds me a lot of the quality of like the dice, uh, dice turn inserts. Yes. Yeah. Um, a lot of, that's what it reminds me. And I, when we had, um, Ed over from BA games, <laughs> we were talking cause obviously he's, he's had to deal with inserts with designing their game. Um, he made a comment about those of how they were nice and it just makes a big difference. When you're able to have everything in its place and it all has a place to go back, when you put it on the shelf, this game is not going to, the cards are going to go everywhere. When you go to set up, you're not going to have to spend 30 minutes figuring out where the cards are, what they go to, all that sort of thing. It's all just right there.
1: Right. Right.
0: Um, gameplay? Yeah. So I, I think we've touched on this one already. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I think, again, it's a deck builder at, at its at its core. It's a deck builder. Um, but I think that that kind of semi and cooperative element that is put in there, I think really sets this one apart for me. Yeah. Um, now, we don't own very many deck builders in our collection because um, it's not really a genre that just, you know, reaches out and grabs us. But, I, I mean, this is definitely a solid inclusion to it. Absolutely. Um, I, I really enjoy this one. I kind of see where a lot of the hype came from. Yeah. Um. But definitely with the gameplay that that element sets it apart for me as well as it's just a like it's a fun game to play. Yeah, like I I enjoy just the the table talk that happens around the game. And again, I enjoy the mechanics as well. That kind of that push your luck element that you get when you're taking on that contract that like you said, you're you're only holding five cards usually. And the contracts sometimes there'll be contracts that require six or seven of different things. So obviously you're like, all right, heart of the cards. Here we go, baby. So I I like that element of that that push your luck to try and get these contracts. Um, Because it is so satisfying. One of the last games we played, uh, it came down to the last turn. Um, there was two contracts on the board. Basically um, my turn was before the guy who was more than likely going to win. There were two contracts on the board that he could pick that would be easy for him to do. And he would be able to win. He just needed one prestige point. So here I go on my own. I needed like two or three. So I went for the big boy contract. I was like, I got to do this on my own. And if I hit this, I'll win, but I got, I got to give it a shot. So, I ended up almost going through my entire deck, and I think I just I needed one more card to keep the the train rolling, and just didn't hit it. Yeah. But that kind of tense moment of there there's a chance like you you gotta you gotta play to your outs. It's right. one of the things I always talked about when we played Magic. Like you play to the outs, you know are in your deck. So. Whatever moves you make, whatever cards you play, you try to keep that going as long as you can. And that's the kind of things that I really enjoy about this game.
1: Absolutely. And you gotta there's definitely some strategy too that you can work on. There's a couple different ways you can approach the game as like I said, you're a starship captain. So what kind of starship are you gonna fly? Like we played with my son, who is um, creative and imaginative and kind of an ass at times. Um, but he completely outfitted his ship when he got playing. His whole plan was to outfit his ship to avoid hazards, right? Yeah. To negate hazards. Like like when he started, he automatically took, it, it took two hazard dice off of anything. So he would volunteer all the time to help people out. Like, hey, I'll help you out. Just give me one prestige and I'll take all the hazards off of that card. You know, and that's all he had to do because it didn't mean anything to him. It was like, it was just yeah. free prestige. Free prestige for him for the most part. So there's a couple different ways that you can approach it. And I really like that aspect about it. And it all depends on how you're going to outfit your ship and what crew members you're going to try to put into your card deck.
0: Yep. 100%.
1: So uh, replayability. Now, we've played this. I've played, what, four or five, six times now, I think, with different people. Yeah. Because we've played a couple. And then I've played a couple with, like, the kids and the girlfriends and stuff and here at the house. So probably, like... Yeah, I've probably got about five plays out
0: of it right now. I think I'm about at 15 solo plays. Mm -hmm. um, Because I've been playing uh, at lunch at work on my laptop. So, um, yeah, I I think there's enough game in the box and there's enough randomness um, in the cards, the ship parts that are going to come up, the contracts that come up, Mm -hmm. the crew cards that come up. I mean, the crew cards, they look familiar to me now. Like... Uh, I know what that guy does. He does this thing. But right. it's not a matter of, all right, I've seen guy A, B, and C, so D is obviously the next crew member that's going to pop up. You know, there, there are enough variation in the crew members and the ship parts that each game feels differently. Because like like we talked before, it's not like you are building a 50-card deck. You're really not adding that many cards to your deck over the course of the game. Sure. So and, yeah, yeah, those
1: can make a big difference. And like you said, it's not like... I don't think there's. I don't think this game has any one win strategy, right? Like, oh, I got to get this crew member because he does this.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely not. I now I will say, I think some are stronger than others depending on the contracts that are on the board. True, um, because the crew members kind of are sorted um, around their abilities, like that. Re- they relate to the different types of cards usually. So, kind of depending on that, it will decide whether or not one crew member is stronger than the others sure but as far as just overall i think it's really well balanced i think each crew member usually does something really good yeah um just depending on what contract you're trying to go for sure
1: and then that definitely that adds a lot to the gameplay because it's it's a new game so for me it has been a new game every time like i have not followed the same kind i even tried to follow the same kind of strategy but as things cards were dropped onto the table things were changing it's like oh well, now I can use this guy and I can do this instead. So definitely, yeah, I I definitely the, like that.
0: and I think the objectives help with that as well. Yes. Um, because the objectives allow you to kind of, it, it almost can guide your strategy, but at the same time, a lot of them are very open-ended. Yeah. So it, it's not, it doesn't really lock you into a certain way of playing. Yeah. Um, like some people will prefer ship parts first over crew members because ship parts are all, always available. Right. Uh, meaning you can use them every round, whereas crew members, you have to, you have to wait for them to come back up into your deck. And draw them, right? Um, but uh, either way, I think this game has a lot of replayability. I'm not intending to stop playing it anytime soon. Um, I, I think this is definitely one of those. Um, I feel like uh, another another thing with gameplay too. It's it's not super heavy.
1: No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even with all this, all this that's going on, there's a lot to consider. Yeah, but I mean, like, by I was not like pushed to the limit by any stretch of the imagination. Like I still had a lot of like computing room left when I was playing this game.
0: Yeah. And I think it it's uh, for a person who is not very into games or new to games. Um, the element, uh, once you get the idea of sequencing. Yes. Of like how, how you need to play your cards to continue to keep playing cards. Once you get that part kind of down, which normally is just a case of watching a couple people do it mm-hmm. uh, and then, you know, working it through yourself then usually you're good to go yeah um now uh, that is the kind of that's the baseline beginner strategy kind of level Uh, but i mean as you get to like the amount of games that i've played uh, you can really start to say all right well i know i have three thrusters in my deck i need i need all three thrusters i've got two up like How many cards do I have left? Like you begin to be able to evaluate those kind of strategies and then do like what we're talking about, playing to your outs. Um, And I think that's awesome that a game has that kind of depth in it without being extremely crunchy. Super
1: complicated. Right, right. Um, All right, let's score it. So we talked value. Um, This falls in a solid like I mean, a solid eight for me. Um, the value is good. The texture is good. I mean, everything you're spending the money. I, I felt like I absolutely got my money's worth when I opened that box.
0: Yeah. uh, I think an eight is a very good place. Um, I feel like if it were any cheaper, I would feel sorry for the developer because they're probably losing money. Oh
1: yeah. 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 I think they gave it. I mean, even geez, I mean, even push that up to like an eight, five or a nine. It's just everything about the value of what I got in that box. I've been incredibly happy with like, I mean, from the design, especially the design work and the artwork and everything has been great. Um, components so this isn't a gripe (laughs) um i love the components i love the metal the metal coins that come with it the dice the boards everything in the components is solid like eight five nine solid right really good we did upgrade to the metal ships which are five little they look exactly like the plastic ones they're just done cast in metal um i think it was like 30 bucks for that upgrade um and i think that was worth it because i The difference between the two is, I mean, so night and day for me, I love that feeling, that real tactile, the metal feeling when you're, you know, and all they're doing, let's be honest, all that little ship is doing is marking your place on a tracker. So don't, you're not (laughs) flying it around, you're making zoomy noises and shit, nothing like that, It, it just, it's marking your place on the tracker, but for me, it feels so much more like rewarding to have those upgrade tokens
0: the next time we play i might make zooming noises (laughs) now that you mentioned yeah now that you mentioned i'm going up the track (laughs) yeah
1: so uh, yeah um and it's not a gripe the the, the plastic ones you get are very well done like they're cast in plastic they're very well done i see no problem with them whatsoever but i do like the upgrades so much more um and that's just me and it's an aesthetic thing uh, i
0: do like that they offer the upgrades
1: that's true that's true.
0: Um, One thing uh, that you find sometimes is upgrades like that are a lot of times you have to find them secondhand. Right. Like, like third party. A, yeah. Like Etsy or sometimes on the board game geek store or something like that where someone has gone in to design them. I like that they were designed by the company because, I mean, they're an exact replica of the yeah. plastic ships. I mean, shoot, even they even have the playmats too, uh, which I know is getting more popular in games. And I'm a sucker for playmats. Um <laughs> uh, so I like that that is something that they have said, hey, if you want to upgrade this, you can pick you this can up. Pick We're this offering it. And
1: I don't think any of them are outrageous. Like, I think the playmats you're talking about, there's two of them, which extend off of the the game boards. Yeah. And they're like 25 bucks for both of them. Yeah. Yeah. So worth it.
0: So uh, as for me, components, I think I'd rate it. I think I'd give it a nine, too, yeah. just straight out of the box. Um, my, my only complaint also has to do with the ships. I feel... I feel like because you have metal coins, the plastic ships just feel off. That's the thing that it is.
1: Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, when I pick up the coins, they feel so good, and then the pla- the ships are plastic. But I get it because if you look at everything else in this box, <laughs> it is so amazingly well done. If yeah. they would have included the metal ones, they it's a hundred dollar to- game. Yeah, easy. Yeah.
0: I, I mean, absolutely. And then it's tough to sell a deck builder for a hundred bucks,
1: right? So when we say gripe. Everybody that's listening, don't take that as a negative. This is just yeah. this discussion, uh, you know, about it. That you are getting your money's worth at a $65 game and it's going to be good and the pieces it, are going to be good.
0: It it just it is there, what it you is. do you, you will feel it. You yep. do touch the coins more than you do the little ship. Just fair. so you know. That's fair. Right? <laughs> um so yeah, uh to so definitely for me like I said nine on components. So gameplay. Uh I think gameplay uh, gameplay for me I think is a solid 8. Um, a, it might be, might be like a seven and a half solo. May I, I feel like I would have to rate it a little lower for solo, because sure. uh, like I said, the that cooperative element I think really really enhances this game
1: it does it yeah. does it makes such a difference and like you said somebody that doesn't play a lot of board games somebody that may be a little bit more quiet and in of an individual too like they kind of realize really quick that they have to get involved in some stuff yeah. um and i've really seen it go well like yeah. you know you can negotiate some contracts um and just being able to tell people like no nah, that's not what i want you know um yeah. and kind of get the, get what you want out of the contract and stuff like and you can't direct, like you said you can't directly you can't say well i've got four thrusters i can do no you can be like i can help with this for you know for this and but again they may have that objective where you to get a prestige point to move up the track that only goes to 10 they will get a free prestige point just for failing when they're helping out yeah. you know so um you, you just you know and that's something that you got to you, you got to consider but it absolutely um, that social aspect of this deck builder really builds onto it. Really makes it a much better game. Yeah. So.
0: So what would you give your gameplay rating?
1: I really like. I've only done it. So I've only. I haven't played the solo side. Um, I really feel like a good eight five is easy for this. Uh, I mean, I've had a blast every time I've played this game um, with every group that I've played it with. Uh, and uh, like, if somebody. If I have a group of five that are wanting to play a game, this is going to be one of the top three that I pull out as an option. Like, absolutely. Like you said, easy to understand, easy to learn. Especially once you get that sequencing down. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Easy eight, five for gameplay. All
0: right. uh, Let's uh, go ahead and rate replayability. So like I said, with the amount of plays that I have, uh, so I have more solo plays than I have, obviously group plays. Um, I mean, still, I I think this is a solid, at least an eight. I I could see eventually running into the point where uh, things kind of feel the same, I guess. But I mean,
1: I, I I feel like if you're playing this game every couple of days, you're gonna get there in maybe a month or two. Like, there's enough there's enough variety out there that even when you start recognizing the cards, you like you said, it depends you have so many aspects of this game that are independently happening. Like the contracts that you draw are coming out of a deck. The ship parts that you draw are coming out of a deck. The crew cards are coming out of a deck and they're all separate. They're all working, you know, independent of any of any other factor, but you're still playing the same game. So I think that in itself, even if you start to recognize what each of the crew members do, even if you start to recognize the ship parts, even if you start to recognize the contracts, it's going to still be you you may not be able to approach it the same way you always do and i think that glid lends a huge degree of replayability and fun to it. Yeah. So, i would yeah, again, i'm really like 859 on replayability. I feel like i could play this game especially if i have this game in a rotation where, you know, it may not make it out every game night, but yeah. you know, once or twice a month i'm playing it. I'm gonna get some like I'm gonna get a year or two out of this game easy oh, easy yeah yeah and still be a good time at the end of it so yeah, yeah. um
0: overall um I think probably for me uh, I think I'd probably put this one at an 85 Yeah, uh, I really think it's it's very well done game I really enjoy playing it I like that it has a solo mode in it that um, I sometimes you run into game I I play a lot of solo games just If so, everyone knows. Um, And I hate when a game has a solo mode that feels just kind of stapled on at the end. Sure. Yeah. Um, But the way they've integrated like the mercenary deck that really does its best to kind of include the cooperative element in it. I like the way that's done. I'm, I'm a fan of it. It's... Yeah, for, for me, I think it's a solid eight five. Um, it's a definite for me better at with a group than it is solo, but it's still a game that I will pick up and play.
1: Absolutely, yeah, I'm with you. Maybe even a nine for me total. Like just everything that I've seen that came out of this box, with just the interaction that we've had with the guys that are making it, with you know everything that I've the upgrades that were available to me, um, and I can you know pick those up now. I can pick those up later. And just improve this game as it goes. Like I absolutely think that for me, it's a good solid nine. Like this is a must buy for me. Um, when we looked at it at Pax, that's what we were, you know, was we like, wow, we really wish we would got our hands on this. Yeah. Um, but then getting it, you know, a couple months later, still, like I, yeah. I knew that this was a game that I was going to buy as soon as it was stocked again. So
0: yeah, one one hundred percent. Um, so yeah, so that is Moonraker's. Um, let us know if you guys have played it, if it's something you're interested in playing. Um, like I said, I I actually play it quite a bit on Tabletop Simulator, so feel free to get on there and try it out.
1: Absolutely. Um, just a couple real quick. It did get, uh, let's see, the Mark Streed uh, from the Dice Tower, uh, best game of the year. Uh, we we gamed together, top three game of the year. The Meeple Foundry, best components of the year. And Tom Vassel from the Dice Tower was top ten best components of the year.
0: So Telling you this is one of the best games to sit around a table and play with others.
1: Absolutely. It's making waves. If you haven't got your hands on it, we will put the link in the show notes. Uh, feel free to go over and take a look. finally, we get back to one of our favorite segments, the Kickstarter Roundup.
0: On today's episode, we got three pretty cool games. Um, They are actually very different uh, from each other, Uh, but three projects that I wanted to take a look at. Uh, One of them is exciting and colorful and just awesome all the way around. Uh, One of it is a pretty standard uh, kind of Old West themed uh, flip and write. And then lastly, we have a very cool Um, very popular cyberpunk-themed game um, about overthrowing those who live in the upper city. So let's jump right into it with our first one, which is Extravaganza. So
1: I was looking at this one, and first of all, the artwork on this is fantastic. So Extravaganza is a strategical drag lip sync competition board game extravaganza.
0: So this game is actually designed and published by Aaron Vanderbeek, which is he's known for the game Castel, uh, which was a game about the Castellans where you are the people who they make the human towers. Right, right, yeah. Yep. Um, so this one is the art style. This was completely different from that one. This one is super colorful. And I mean, just the concept behind it is great. Um, this is one of those games that, um, obviously it has a, there's a bunch of elements that can be said that are great about it. Um, outside of the colorful art style, the amazing looking board, the theme, the whole nine yards, um, the representation that it brings to board games. I, by and large, this is, this is a very unique game, um, that I definitely want to, want to bring to light. So, Uh, In this game, uh, you are going to play as a drag queen in a lip syncing competition. Uh, The way the game works, uh, each player has a player board um, on it that keeps track of their score and helps to um, kind of show where they stand at the end of the game. Uh, There are different cards that represent lyrics um, and things like that, uh, as well as different moves, dance moves that you can do uh, while you are performing these songs. So as you, as we go through the components and stuff here, um, everything looks is, is extremely colorful. That's one of the things that first drew me into this game. Um, it looks like when you are playing, uh, the, one of the big mechanisms that you, they use is, uh, your standees on the board or on the stage. Rather, uh, you move across the stage in a pattern based on the rhinestones that are on the stage, um, collecting all the rhinestones of the same color that you cross over uh, so, and those will allow you to, um, get these stones that you use to pay for the cards later on in your turn. Uh, the, the more of the same colors that you have, the better your dance moves are, uh, cause that's how you're able to pay for those. Um, you also get these lip tokens, uh, which you use, um, at the end of the round to lip sync the songs, right? Nice. Uh, And then you are awarded points based on how well you did. Um, And then, of course, the total point score is added up after that.
1: So uh, the opening pledge for this, of course, they have the pledge. uh, It's about two dollars. I think it's uh, pounds or is that
0: euros?
1: Euros. There we are. Um, So one euro, which is about two bucks uh, just to kind of keep track of it. Uh, The first one we're actually going to be getting the game is about 53 U.S. or 50 euros um and that is the game so it's one copy of extravaganza with all of its stretch goals um and then that's pretty much it there's a retailer pledge um that gets you six copies of it but um they only got one basically one level here
0: yeah which is pretty straightforward i we'll probably talk about this on the next episode but i kind of like this kickstarter model where it's just simple right like there's the pledge level for the game and then you get all the add-ons that get unlocked, the stretch goals, and things like that. But there's one pledge level. Um, so, yeah. So, 53 US dollars, um, which is great. Uh, this is a um, well-known producer. Um, his last game, the the Castell game, is an excellent game. Uh, a lot of people love it. So, it definitely has some... Um, Some solid backing behind it. Uh, This one has already funded, actually, um, and it still has, as of time of recording, 15 days left to go. Um, It's at 13,000 of a 10,000 goal, so there's still it's definitely going to fund. So if you want to back it, go ahead and and jump on that train. Um, But this one is this one is colorful. It looks exciting, and like I said, it has some unique representation we just don't usually find in board games.
1: Right, right. So the yeah uh, the copywriter that was um involved in this was uh, a Shia Ho, who's a Japanese American drag queen living in New York City. So you know they're actually you know, they're actually they're actually going to an expert for a lot of this. So yeah. I like that looking at the like just looking at the group that put this together. So awesome. Cool.
0: All right, so the next one we want to talk about is Flip Town. Uh, so this is the western style uh, flip and write game. Uh, that is um, up on Kickstarter right now. One of the things that I I like this are uh, liked about this was it uses kind of traditional poker cards, right? Um, for the cards that you flip and work work from. Um, one of the this reminds me a lot of Western Legends uh, that has a similar use of like poker style cards in the game for various elements. Mm-hmm. Um, I like I like how it does that because to me that really that helps to draw in that old west theme right um the the whole saloon poker playing whole nine yards um so this is kind of uh what could be described as like a point salad type game there are a lot of points to be gathered there are many ways to win um just kind of uh things like that there is a solo mode involved in this game which i i think is also really cool um it seems to be like it's going to be fairly quick. It's three rounds. You count up your points and you're done. Right. Uh, one to four players. Yep. One to four players. So this one looks exciting. Now, rolling rights and flipping rights have been um, kind of a genre that exploded in the past few years. Right. Um, you have Welcome 2 is probably the big daddy of all of them um, with all of its different variations and things. Uh, but this looks like a really exciting one that is is just different enough. Uh, where I think it might be a good addition to a collection, especially if you enjoy the flip and write style games.
1: I think I played my first roll and write um, just a couple weeks ago. Uh, It was Bloom, um, which I guess is a pretty popular one. Um, Played it with the girlfriend's family Uh, and it was really good. It it, like we had a good time with it, Um, but that was the first time playing with it. Um, So I'm really interested in this type of a game right now.
0: Yep. So uh, looking at the pledge levels, of course, we have $1, just the general show your support and follow, uh, $5 actually gets you a print and play version, uh, which is really cool. Um, then you got the retail store pledge. Um, and then we get to the first physical copy, which is 25 bucks,
1: which is pretty good. I mean, that's, you know, $25 game. Um, and this is reusable too. like all of the, uh, where you write your for the right and of the right and flip looks like it's just like dry erase. Mm-hmm. Um, so dry erase markers that come with it and they've got the little eraser on the end and whatnot. Uh, so that's really good. I like that. I like somebody that's actually doing that.
0: Yeah, 100%. Um, this puts it right in the round with the other rolling rights, flipping rights. So that's great. It's not overpriced or anything like that. Um, looks like there's some really cool stuff that come in the box. Um, so the next pledge level, you can get two copies of it for $46. So a little bit of a discount if you have a friend you think would be into this game. Um, this one has also funded uh, quite substantially. Uh, it's got 18 days left to go as of time of recording and is right now at 35, almost 36000 out of a $4,800 goal. So this one is also going to fund. If it's one you think you're interested in, by all means, hop on board.
1: Absolutely. There's a couple different options for play. There's some single play. There's some more advanced rules that you can put into the game. So that all comes in the box with it. This looks really good.
0: All right. And our final one for today that we want to talk about is... Uh, Citrus, an immersive cyberpunk game. A uh, competitive 1 to 5 player game in a cyberpunk fortress uh ruled by the Stratos Elites up above. Um so the first thing that drew me into this game um was the way the board was set up. Okay, so um if you're looking at it you have kind of the the baseline board uh which is kind of the undercity. And then you have this part of the board that like rises up above that, uh, which is supposed to be like the upper city, basically where all the elite people live. And you as um, a leader of like a gang down here in the undercity, are trying to figure out how to make your way up to there. Um, so uh, the first thing it reminded me of, was the tree from everdell which i don't know if you've seen it
1: i've seen the board set up yeah (laughs) yeah
0: so it's the tree that everyone talks about is completely unnecessary but absolutely beautiful (laughs) as it's there um and that was the first thing that struck out to me i was like i i don't know if this is necessary but it seems really cool um so one thing i like i like the art style this art style um Kind of reminds me of Moonrakers, and it's got like the darker backgrounds with like the bright neon foreground right. colors. Yeah, um, so I do, I, I do think that one is really cool. Um, so this this project right here, there's so there's a lot of stuff going on in this game. Um, so you have different factions that you are trying to gain the influence of. Um, down in the Undercity. There are also multiple districts um, that you go through and you can visit to kind of gain um, influence with these factions. Uh, One of the cool things I like is the character that you choose is customizable um, based on the factions that you kind of throw in with. Right. Um, right. So you get different upgrades and things like that to your character board based on uh, like which factions you go with and which, which upgrade you choose. Um so I thought that was really cool that you're not locked into like a set power. Um even though we do like variable player powers, um I do like that your your character will grow and change as the game progresses. Right. Um so uh you can um then going from there, uh you can take control of the underbelly as um uh, like the kind of the first step uh where you become the leader of these these groups um and then you the next step is kind of Ascending to Stratos, which is the upper city part of the game. Um, So yeah, this one looks really cool. Um, I still am a little hesitant about it. I want to see some more gameplay videos and things like that, uh, which there are a lot of them out there now. Uh, I know uh, Rado has one, uh, which uh, I usually like his videos. Um, They're very good. So I want to see some more about this before I jump on board, Uh, but it definitely looks different. It does. Um, I, I think the theme and everything like that um, is definitely unique. So, getting into the pledge levels, uh, the first pledge level we have is again the dollar support. Um, then there is uh, twenty nine dollars for a retailer pledge, um, and then we get into the first the founders experience, which is about fifty six US dollars. Right, and that um, gets
1: you the base copy of the game, all the unlocks, um, and then they'll charge you shipping later. So that's that's the like the, the yeah, so I was I'm trying to read and understand what the narrative experience is because that's the next step,
0: right? Um, so, uh, with this, so the way they kind of, um, the way they kind of designed this Kickstarter, um, is that there are kind of two levels of the game. Uh, So, there is the base game that has all of the standard parts and pieces that come in, everything you need to play the game. Uh, The narrative experience basically adds some what would normally be considered like expansions. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, So, with those expansions, um, there is a a travel pack, a character pack, a mission pack, um, and I think they include like a digital copy of some things too. Um, so it's, again, just some expansion packs to the, the standard game stuff. Got it. Okay. Um, And let's see. And then lastly, you get the the last one is the Cyberpunk Experience, which is $149. Um, it includes everything from the previous two tiers, um, as well as like an origin storybook. Um, I think there's actually a couple other packs that includes, including additional digital pack. Um, yeah, just a few other odds and ends if it's something you really, really like.
1: Right. There is one more level that is the divine experience that goes for, uh, $439 and it lets you be part of the game. You get to name one of the 12 stratolites in Citrus, uh, your naming knowledge as a divine stratolite in the rule book. And the Citrus Origin novel, all in all of its formats. Also, an invitation to play Citrus with the designer online or at his home. Travel expenses not included. Um, so that's kind of cool. I mean, it's 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 a long shot. There's twelve of those. Uh, they have eight left. If yep. you're really into this, um, like I said, four hundred and thirty nine dollars.
0: Yeah. So this one looks very interesting. Um, so I know that this is uh, this person's first Kickstarter. Um, so uh, some people are a little hesitant because it, 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 does seem very ambitious. Um, but again, it is the way of Kickstarter. Um, it does look very exciting. It does. Yeah. So, so re- currently this one is also funded. Um, it has 23 days to go, uh, which is still a long time. So it's still a fairly new Kickstarter. Um, it has already has 38,000, almost 39,000 of its $11,000 goal. Um, so 465 backers, it's yeah, this game looks very exciting and interesting. Um, if it's something like cyberpunk, especially that uh, excites you, if you are into that, um, definitely something to go check out. Yeah, absolutely. Um. one of the things I saw uh, from the creator, um, the guy, he was saying he's always been a fan of cyberpunk style stories and worlds, and he really wanted to bring that and have other people like be a part of that. So it definitely looks like this is. Um, kind of like a passion project for him. Uh, So, I mean, we'll see how that affects it. Awesome.
1: Awesome. So that's it. And after turning in that contract, along with the objective, complete mission with a family member, that pushes us up the prestige track to a 10. And you know what that means. I'm the captain now.
0: For the Dapper Meeple, I'm Josh.
1: And I'm Jim. Good night, everyone.
0: Thanks, everyone, for sticking around and listening to our show.
1: If you enjoyed it, let me ask you a favor. Follow us and leave us a like wherever you get your podcast. It really helps us out.
0: And if you have anything to say back to us, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for The Dapper Meeple. On Twitter, our handle is at The Dapper Meeple or email us at dappermeeplegaming at gmail.com.
1: And as always, we'll save you a seat at the table.